several people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was, a, it was wow, remarkable time. Maybe two or three of you would like to talk about what happened. See, it's good to testify. It's good to declare the good things that the Lord does. So is there a couple of you that would like to come up front here and just tell what happened? Don't be shy. Be encouraged. Oh, hallelujah. So if anybody knows how to fix a drum, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, really thank Dick for uh, last night. Um, definitely taking the time to really teach us. Uh, and he, uh, he really answered questions beforehand. I know a lot of people had a lot of questions and stuff, but uh, took. Uh, I've been around. Uh, I've had my. I had a, a skepticism about four years about it, and last night I finally had the breakthrough. And uh, <laughs> so I, I think uh, for me it was. Uh, I think it was the pride of the tongues, and like uh, just like being surrounded by. It. And I, because I, I, I like I cried like a little girl. I, I don't mean. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I was just really asking, like, okay, God, like, why, why am I, like, crying? Why am I, like, I was just so, I felt weak. But I think it was, uh, I think it was God just tearing down my pride and, like, getting me to a place where I could really uh, be with him. And I remember uh, Dick coming over and putting his, uh, his head on me. And I just, like, I grabbed on his hand and his, his shirt. You did. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> this has I think that was uh, I think when he touched my head, that was the connection right there, and I just I didn't want to let it go. And then, uh, but he had to go to other people to pray for him. So he did. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, re- I really thank God. And uh, it's it's uh, if you have skepticism about it or whatever, you know, get your go to the Bible, get your answers, get your questions answered. But don't be like me and wait four years. It's definitely not worth waiting four years. <laughs> Amen. So now remember, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, although it can be an experience, because sometimes we really encounter the presence of God. Other times, you simply receive your spiritual language, and that's it. And, And see, again, God deals with us as individuals, and it's important not to compare experiences. It's like, well, that didn't happen to me. Therefore, what happened to me must not be real. And that's why... That's why we put our confidence and faith in the Word of God. And when, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've walked through a door, and in the days to come, the Lord is going to express His power through you. And see, that's what, that's, it's an anointing of power, and it validates your witness for Jesus. And you may not be aware of it, but others are going to be aware of it, and, uh, and Jesus is going to be glorified through that. Now, I have a website called YouGotTheHolySpirit.com, and the um, staff's going to pass out some postcards. I'm just going to present this to you as a resource. It's designed for people that are newly baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you can, you can get it in one of two ways. You can get it via email, and the website sends you a weekly email for a year to, to mentor you through this, this new place in the Spirit that you're living. And I talk about all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
And I tell a lot of stories of people that are, are, have learned to operate in spiritual gifts. And so it's, a, it's great for people that are newly baptized in the Spirit. It's also a great refresher course if you have received the Spirit in the past but just want to be rejuvenated and kind of brought up to speed. It's a, it's a great resource. It's also available on the Chi Alpha app that you can get at chialpha.com. And all, all of the segments of the You Got the Holy Spirit are on podcasts, so you can get them either way, whichever is most convenient for you. So we're talking about three doors. The first door that we walk through is encountering Jesus. And that's where our Christian walk begins, whether it's a cataclysmic conversion like I experienced or whether it's a process. Both are valid, but it's just important that we walk through that door and we decide to be disciples of Jesus. So I've been so encouraged, you guys, being with you because I sense in you, you guys have a passion for the Lord. You, you want to follow Jesus. And so God is doing some great things in your heart. And I'm, I'm excited that I'm going to hear stories of how God is going to use your life in the next 50 years to glorify his name and to bring the kingdom here to planet Earth. And then the third door that we walk through is the door of the Father. And that's what really we've concentrated on this weekend is understanding the Father's love. And you guys, you took a huge, gigantic step forward last night as you made the choice to forgive. That's the key barrier that keeps us from walking in freedom, keeps us walking in intimacy with the Lord, is the whole issue of unforgiveness. Remember I told you last night that if if you will live in constant forgiveness, you're going to be ahead of 95% of the people on planet Earth. See, that's, that's how pervasive the issue of unforgiveness is. I'm sure you've heard this statistic that between 80 and 90% of disease begins in the mind with emotional conflict. And see, when you don't forgive, you are perpetuating emotional conflict within you because, see, you're not, you're not designed to live in unforgiveness. You're designed for love. And so our body reacts to that. And, and so when, when I circulate resentment, anger, judgments, all of that in my mind, that directly affects my body, and it reduces my immune system so that I'm more susceptible to all kinds of diseases, cancer, headaches, migraine headaches. Um, all, I mean, all, they, they say that all of disease is related to the internal emotional stress that comes primarily from unforgiveness. I read a study one time that even, Michael, even cholesterol is related to your stress level. And if, and if you are living a stress-free life, then even cholesterol doesn't affect you as much. So, so my personal philosophy is that I'm going to live in forgiveness and still eat cheeseburgers. That's my personal philosophy. <laughs> so, well, amen. So, you guys, so the, see, the best thing that, that you can do for your spiritual life and testimony is to live in a place of forgiveness. Remember last night we talked about that forgiveness, it, it comes in three stages. First of all, I make the choice to forgive. And we, last night we all together spoke out people's names that, Dad, I forgive you. Billy, I forgive you. Ex-girlfriend, I forgive you. See, we, we, we did that. Then the second step is that we bless those 
who, who have wronged us. And now you did that last night. So today, your response to the Lord is to say, Jesus, I bless the people that I forgave last night. And I want us to do that together. I want you to think of several people that you spoke forgiveness towards last night. And I want you, we're all just going to do this together in unison, but I want you to speak out their name and say, Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. Let's do that together. Lord, we're going to bless those who have hurt us. But Lord, I speak out blessing, Lord, to those that have wronged me. I speak out blessing. I bless my dad. Lord, I bless my coworkers. Just speak it out, you guys. Speak out a blessing. Name them by name. If it's Andy, Lord, I bless Andy. If it's my father-in-law, I bless my father-in-law. If it's my ex-boyfriend or my ex-girlfriend, I speak blessing to them in the name of Jesus. If it's an employer that cheated you, Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, hear these declarations. Hear these declarations. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, remember what the scripture says. If we bless and do not curse, it brings two things happen. It brings incredible freedom to you. And the second thing that happens is that you are releasing blessing and God is going to respond to your prayer. He is going to bless them in some way. As we speak things in faith, energy is released into the spirit world. See, power is released, and God is going to respond to those things. Remember a couple of years back, a young lady went through this teaching on the Father Heart of God, and she had been estranged from her dad for, for 12 years, and they had, he had not contacted her, and, and, and now you know she has grown up. She's a young, beautiful young woman in college, and, and uh, just you know feels abandonment. There was a lot of resentment in her heart. And uh, she went through the teaching. She forgave her dad. It was painful, but she said, God, I, just, I forgive him for his failure. And uh, as, as uh, in the days following the seminar, she felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to contact your dad. And oh, that was really hard because this man that had walked out on her and showed no interest in her, but the Lord said, I want you to contact him. And so it, it was a huge step of faith, but she contacted him. And when she made the contact with him, his response was one of remorse. And he said, I, I'm so sorry. He said, I was so filled with pain in my own life, and I just didn't. I thought you hated me as well. I, I, the easiest thing was just to get out of your life. And so he humbled himself. And, and this father that had really abandoned his daughter... He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a phone card, a prepaid long-distance phone card. And he said, let's, let's talk. See, let's, let's establish a relationship. So redemption came to her. And that's the kind of, this is, what, this is the work that God is involved in. It's the work of reconciliation. It's the work of changing us. Now I've got some pictures of, of faces. Remember we talked out, we looked at a lot of negative faces. And this is the positive face of the Father. David says, Lord, I will seek your face. That's why it's so important for us to see, have a revelation of the Father's love. He, see, Father is the kindest person in the universe. He is the most loving and generous. He's also impeccably holy to the point of kind of scaring us. His holiness is awesome. 
because it just drives away any sin and darkness out of our lives. And even Moses, the man that spent 40 days face-to-face with God in heaven, does that make you a little envious? It's like, wow, this, this guy's a superstar of the Old Testament. And yet Moses declared when God revealed himself on Mount Sinai as, the, as God revealed the law, Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. This man that had been in the presence of God for 40 days without food or water, he was just sustained by the presence of God. When God came and revealed his holiness on Mount Sinai, he said, I'm full of fear and trembling. But this is the Father that all of us can get to know intimately. And see, as I know the Father, that's what establishes my identity as a son and a daughter. Not my performance, not whatever label or accolades the world gives me, but it's the Father that defines my identity. And that's what, uh, that's what Jesus wants to do more deeply in all of our lives. Now, Jesus was saturated with his Father's love. I love reading the Gospels because Jesus, he is just so together, isn't he? I mean, the, the Pharisees come to trap him, and, and he just avoids the conflict, and he confounds them, doesn't he? With his words of wisdom, and the Father shows him in every situation. And see, Jesus was, was filled with the Father's love. There's an interesting verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, that it says that Jesus was anointed with joy above his companions. And that tells me that Jesus was an incredibly joyful person. He wasn't a somber, morose Messiah or an angry Messiah walking around saying, why don't you people get it together? But here, he was a man full of great joy. And he was so filled with the Father's love. And because of that, that's how he could hear the Father. That's how he could sense what the Father was doing. And that's what enabled him to do the works of the Father. See, Jesus was in constant contact with the Father. That's why the scripture says in Mark that Jesus would get up early and he would go to a lonely place, a quiet place, a solitude, you know, a a secluded place. And what was he doing? He was getting instructions for the day, wasn't he? I can remember, I remember the, you know, I, I believe that if the NFL has an instant replay machine, I think God has one of those. So I already have my top 100 DVDs that I want to see when I get to heaven. And, and I, and I want to see the one where, where, you know, where, where Jesus, where Peter walked on the water. I, I, I want to see that because I, I, I want to see the glory of God. And see, the day that Jesus walked on the water, he didn't initiate that. He didn't think, well, you know, this really will impress the troops. I'm going to walk on water today. It didn't work that way. But I believe in Jesus' God time. The father said, now, son, today you're going to walk on the water. He goes, wow, that's cool. That'll be remembered, you know. And see, because Jesus only did what he saw his father doing, John 5, 19. He only did the things the father told him to do. You guys, that's our model because we are sons and daughters of the living God. And as I learn, see, to, to cultivate this internal dialogue with the Holy Spirit, it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, 24-7 conversation that you are wired to have with the living God. 
And as, as we learn to interpret and understand his communications to us, and we all have to learn. We do, it just doesn't come natural. We have to work on it. And the folks that were filled with the Holy Spirit, they took a quantum leap forward now because they're going to have a clearer line of communication. And all of you that are already baptized in the Spirit, see you, you have an advantage. You've got a super connection with the living God. And, th- and those of you who aren't filled yet, you have that to look forward to. And I encourage you to seek after it because it will help you in your relationship with the Lord. So cultivating intimacy and friendship with the Father is the key to our growth as sons and daughters. I really appreciate, Michael, you writing right into the schedule, the God time. That is so good. That is, that's, that's just, the, it's a bottom line issue for all of us. And, and may God give you the, the grace and the ability to prioritize that and to see, make that a part of your life as a disciple where you're spending some time in the scripture, some time just quietly listening. And I guarantee see, your, your life will blossom and your witness for Jesus will just, will just go to brand new heights. Man, you may even take it 15 minutes a day. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to read the scripture, pray. I'm going to listen to you a little bit. I mean, even 15 minutes a day will do wonders for your spiritual life. Now, John chapter 16, I love the gospel of John because John, as, as, as the other gospels really don't, John emphasizes the intimate relationship that Jesus had with his father. And John sixteen twenty three says this. Jesus says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, see, here's what's happened. The disciples now have been with Jesus probably two, two and a half years. Jesus has been the, he's provided for the disciples, and he didn't have an American Express credit card. And so Jesus had to pray in provision. Here, he's taking care of 12 guys. He had to feed them. He had to house them. He had to, you know, take care of snacks and treats and all that. And, and how, where did Jesus get that money? Because he didn't have a credit card. So, see, Jesus would pray. And the disciples, they watched Jesus pray, didn't they? They would watch him pray. And, and they were so inspired. That's why they came to him and said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? See, he's modeling for them. I depend on my Father. My Father provides. And, and we have enough to eat. All of our needs are met. Now, see, if you'd have been one of the 12 disciples, you would have watched and lived that for at least two and a half years. And now Jesus says, see, until now, you've not asked for anything because I've done the asking. I have connected with the Father, and you have been the recipient of that provision. But now Jesus is signaling that there's a change coming. And he's saying that, just as you have watched me ask the Father, now we're going to shift gears and you are going to ask the Father directly. Now, maybe it was like this for you and your family. How many of you know behind those sparkling blue eyes, the gears are turning and the kids, they have ideas about what they want? Uh huh, right? You know this. Now, maybe you were together with your brothers and sisters and you decided. We really need to get ice cream tonight. 
It's like we need ice cream. And we need to go to that place that has the 31 flavors of ice cream. And so you would meet with your brothers and sisters, right? And isn't it interesting? You would know which parent to ask, and you would know which sibling stood the best chance of getting an affirmative answer. You knew these things. And so this particular night, Johnny, Johnny, you're appointed. You went as the, our ambassador, and you wouldn't go to mom because she's way too diet conscious. You'd go to dad because dad loves ice cream. So Johnny would go before and say, dad and say, dad, you know, dad, you know, you're the best dad in the world. There is no one like you. And you know, say, we just love you so much, dad. And we were thinking, you know, and, and you need this too. We need some ice cream. So dad, would you take us to Baskin and Robbins? And dad would go, well, okay. And the kids, yes, we get to do it. Or maybe the next time, you, you don't want to get ice cream. You want to see the new Disney animation. So this time, you don't go ask dad, because dad does not like animations. You like mom. She loves animations. And this time, Johnny doesn't go, but Susie goes, because mommy likes Susie. <laughs> Same routine. Susie goes and says, mommy, you know, we, you know, there's no one like you. You're the best mom in the world. And, and mom just goes, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more. And, and mom, because you know, you're the, mom's, the world's best mom, would you... We need to see the new Disney animation. Would you take us tonight? Mom goes, well, all right. And the kids, yes, we get to do it. You see, maybe you were confident that Johnny or Susie, your brother and sister, would get an affirmative answer. But see, some of us, we had some insecurity. I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe dad won't do what I want to do. Maybe mom won't do what I want to do. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. He's saying that you now have favored status to come and ask the Father for anything. Look at verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, now see, Jesus is speaking of a future day that's going to come soon for the disciples. It's the day when the Holy Spirit comes and makes the Father's love real to them. See, that's a day. Jesus is saying this day is going to come, and that day has come now for all of us. He says, until, uh, he says in that day you will, you will ask in my name. See, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, because the Father himself loves you. I want you to say that with me. The Father himself loves you. See, a revelation of the Father's love is essential to know that Father wants to listen to you. He is eager to hear your cries. He's eager to hear your communications. And he's even more eager to answer your prayers. See, if, if I doubt the Father's love, it's really hard for me to go to the Father's table in faith because I don't think, well, he's really not going to provide for me. He's really not going to meet my needs. He's really not going to answer my request. So, see, a revelation of the Father's love is so critical for this. And, and the Father is so good. He will do little things that affirm his love for you. He'll, he'll answer little prayers. Like the story I shared about Pastor John Schlein and how he was robbed and 
Remember the picture of his wife that he was really grieving that he had lost that. And six months later, a, a middle-aged jogger found it in some leaves and brought it to him. And see, not only did John get the picture back, but he received at that moment a revelation of the Father's love. It's like, wow, Father, you really do care. And if you watch, see, God will, will do things that just affirm his love for you. And you're going to get to do things for others as the Spirit directs you that's going to affirm Father's love for them so that they can grow in the same way. So Jesus walked in his Father's love. Out of demonstrated affectionate relationship with the Father, we enter an intimacy where we feel his touch. And there were people that were baptized in the Spirit last night that were aware of the touch of the Father. Some of us were aware of that during our worship times. Remember this. Remember, emotions go up and down, don't they? That's human. That's nothing wrong with you. Our emotions do this. They fluctuate. They vary. So I don't put my confidence in emotions. I enjoy it when the presence of God comes. Man, I, I love that. But a lot of the times, you know, I'm just kind of flat inside. And, and that doesn't mean God isn't there. That doesn't mean that God is not using me. It doesn't mean that Father doesn't love me. It just means that my emotions are at a flat level. And so I just respond by faith. By the way, in worship, you guys, spirit follows body. See, spirit follows body. That means we come into a worship time, and, you know, I, I just feel kind of flat inside. I don't really feel like worshiping. And, and I feel like just kind of doing this during worship. So since spirit follows body, what I do is I say, now body, it's time to worship. So I lift my hands in faith. I speak praise, even if I'm not feeling anything, because God's worthy of it, isn't he? And what happens, you guys, is you do it with your body. You do the actions of worship. And what happens is the spirit comes, and you may well then begin to experience more of God. But it starts with obedience in the body. And so we're, so we're designed to be aware of the presence of God. Now it's going to come and go. And I, I just have to learn to roll with that. But there's times when you're going to sense more and more the presence of the Lord. And we become secure in his love. See, that's what Father wants. He wants you to be secure in his love. So that when he gives you instructions, you have the boldness to go and do it. Whatever Father is saying to you, go and do it. And, and when, I, when I'm more assured of Father's love, I have the courage to do those things. In that intimacy, we can hear the Father's voice and receive his instructions. All of our communication with God is to flow out of a continual experience of the Father's phileo love for us. Two Greek words, agape. Agape is the, is the word that is used most of the time for love in the New Testament. Agape means I choose to love you. I don't feel anything. I choose to love you. Remember, just like forgiveness is a choice, love is a choice, isn't it? A friend of mine has this definition. Love is choosing to do what I know will benefit you. That's a great definition. See, love is choosing to do. It's not an emotion. It's a choice that I make. What I know, and that means I have to get to know you. See, if I really love you, I'm going to get to know you so that I can identify your love language. We all have different love languages, don't we? 
Yeah, some, and some things that would resonate with you don't mean a lot to me. Some things that don't mean a lot to you are, are my love language. So I have to discover what your love language is so that I can love you well. It's especially true in marriage. Because, you know, husband and wife have different love languages. And so if I really love my wife, I have to discover the things that she loves and do those, even if it's things that aren't all that meaningful to me. You know? So I, but that's, and love discovers that. Love discovers that in our relationships with one another. Now let's look at Romans 8. I, lo- I love Romans 8 because Romans 8 is, is what I call the spiritual promised land. God's, Paul starts brilliantly in Romans chapter 1. He builds a case for, for the existence of God and the existence of the conscience. And he, he, he climbs this great mountain all the way to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is the summit. It's the place where we all want to arrive at. Michael was telling me that he did the hike through the superstition. Is that right? The superstition mountains here? Enchantment mountains. Okay, that, superstitions are in Arizona. And, and it's a long hike. You have, to get, you have to win the lottery to go and all that. And, uh, and it was an arduous climb, wasn't it, Michael? It took a lot of work to get up to 9,000 feet from 2,000 feet. But when he got up there, it's like, oh, the, the view is so worth it. And that, that's a good picture of the Christian life because we're all working to climb. We're, we're, we're sacrificing. We're taking up the cross. We're letting Jesus renew our minds. And what happens is we're ultimately going to get to the top. And I believe Romans 8 is, is where we are all to live. There, there's 20 promises in Romans chapter 8. And I want to look at one of them this morning. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. So, you guys, the mark that you're growing up, that you're no longer just a baby in Christ. And we start there, don't we? We start as infants, and then we grow up. And and as we grow and mature, the indicator that you're growing up is that you're learning to be led by the Spirit. The context of this is Romans 8, 9 says, If by the Spirit... I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So, you guys, the first way that I learn to hear God's voice is I respond to conviction. How many of you have been convicted? <laughs> Hopefully daily, you know, because you're, you're listening to God. And see, when, when you get that inner sense that, ah, 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 Dick, don't do that, or that was wrong, go and apologize. See, that's God talking to you. And if you respond to that, humble yourself and, oh, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. It was gossipy. It was unloving. Will you forgive me? See, you're learning to be led by the Spirit. And then as we respond to conviction accurately, then we begin to hear the other communications that the Lord wants to send us. He wants to do things. He wants to guide and direct us. See, he wants to fulfill that glorious destiny that he has for your life. I've got, I've got a friend who is, was one of my students, and now she's in the marketplace. But Patty will never stand up and teach. She, she's a very private, very intelligent person, and she loves working in the laboratory with pipette tubes and Petri dishes. And, and she has got her postdoctoral work in microbiology. How many of you know God doesn't even understand that stuff? That is so out there. And her whole life is working in the laboratory. And you know what her passion is? Her passion is to, Lord, would you help me 
to solve some of the deep medical issues that we're facing? Would, would you help me to solve the cancer riddle so that, that we can see some breakthroughs to help people? And see, destiny is working in Patty's life. And she spends eight, nine hours a day in the lab, and she loves it. She loves all those smells and all that stuff that goes on in the biology lab. See, it's destiny, and she has a purpose. She said, Lord, would you use my research, my research to help mankind, help, help all people everywhere. And she, she, she revels in it, and you'd never know that. She's just a quiet, unassuming person. But, but see, destiny is operating in her life. And say, same is true with you. Father has destiny and purpose. Now, Satan knows that the Father's love is foundational because the kingdom can't come until sons and daughters see and hear what Father is doing. The kingdom won't come until the sons of God are revealed. Now, this is not some kind of weird, bizarre doctrine. And I know there's, there's parts of the church that have taken this teaching kind of really to a bizarre extreme, and I'm not going there. But what I'm simply saying is that as you grow and mature, as you grow up, see, and, you're, and, and your life is coming under the dominion of the Spirit, what happens is then is God can extend the kingdom through you. I loved Elliot's story last night. These four people that are, they've heard from God that they're to pray for someone with an orange shirt, you know? Okay, so, okay, Lord, that's our assignment. And they waited around thinking, well, maybe we miss God. There's nobody here with an orange shirt. But somebody had the spiritual sensitivity to say, no, no, let's just wait. Got Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, don't leave yet. And uh, at the right moment, Elliot comes by. They pray for him. And it creates a God encounter, doesn't it? See, that was the Father's will. He executed his will through four faithful sons and daughters. And that's what, see, that's how the kingdom is extended. And all of us get to participate in that. Now, Satan knows that. And that's why he wages war against us receiving a revelation of the Father's love. He wants you to remain insecure. He wants you to remain in a place of doubt and fear and insecurities. That's Satan wages war because when you begin emerging into sonship, you become a formidable opponent to the kingdom of darkness. Remember in the book of Acts, there were seven sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva, and his sons discovered that the name of Jesus had power. And, and here is as, as probably, I don't think they were born again, but they were using the name of Jesus. They were performing exorcisms, and it was working, remember? Well, one day, they, they, came, they came against a guy, and, and, the, and the, the demon suddenly wised up and said, Hey, Paul I know, and Jesus I knew, and who are the blank are you? And, and this, this demon-possessed individual wailed on these guys, and, and they ran out of the house naked and beat up. I mean, they had a power of encounter of the bad kind, right? But see, isn't it interesting? They said, we know about Jesus, and we know about Paul. You guys, Paul was known in hell because he obeyed the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be known in hell? Hallelujah. One of my life goals, I want to do as much damage to the kingdom of darkness as I can. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible. I want to mess Satan's kingdom up to the best of my ability. And see, as I, as I understand Father's love, 
And as I reject the satanic agenda for my life, I'm going to walk in God's purpose for me. See, Satan exploits our past hurts. He has a demonic script over your life. Just like Father has a destiny and a purpose, Satan also has a a destructive purpose for your life. And you guys, uh, remember, there's this interaction between the unseen spirit world and the natural world. There's this constant interaction. And and remember, most people, before you're born again, you don't even understand these things. They're all foolishness to you. But when you're born again, we start understanding the true nature of reality, that there's a seen realm and there's an unseen realm. And just as Satan and the powers of darkness continually work to promote their agenda, right? Yeah? You guys, this whole gender confusion thing that has come upon the earth, do you understand that has come from the spirit world? And, and the confusion that people have about their gender isn't just them. But see, spirits have been unleashed on the earth. And, and, and they're attacking people's identity. The very image of God, see, is under attack. And it's, see, it's a spiritual battle. It's just not the public schools that are teaching all this weirdness and all the college professors are coming up with 3,500 genders and all the nonsense that is going on in our culture. But the real enemy, see, is the powers of darkness. And, and that's what we, where we need to fight effectively as God's people, which involves prayer and fasting, which involves entering into seasons of warfare. And, and see, Satan doesn't want that. He does not want that at all. So he tries to keep you in a place of brokenness, place of resentment. See, man, some of you, you kicked the devil in the shins last night because you forgave people that he's been exploiting, see. And now you took, you took the ground away from him, and now you're, you're going to start emerging in, in strength and wholeness and power, and you're, you're going to be a formidable, formidable threat to the enemy. And see, just as the enemy works, so the Father works. The Father works to reveal himself and speak words of destiny, words of encouragement. When, see, when you share the gospel with people, this is what's happening. Your words are awakening something in their heart. When you tell them, you know, there's a Father in heaven that loves you. See, boom, the lies are, are being dislodged in their minds. These thought structures which 2 Corinthians 10 talks about the, these, there's are, these are demonic strongholds in the minds of people. See, those are ways of thinking. And Satan works relentlessly year after year to build these complex thought structures that are opposed to the knowledge of God, right? And you've, you've experienced this. If you've talked to certain people, it's like, man, they're millions of miles away from God. And so your words of encouragement, your speaking the truth in love begins to dislodge all of that. And, and God has, a, has a, a line into their lives. And so Satan, knowing all these things, he doesn't want you to have a revelation of the Father's love. See, Satan exploits our hurts and our wounds. And, and you know, when you have a bruise, and, and normally if you touch my arm, it doesn't hurt at all. But if I have a bruise there and you touch it, what happens? It's like, whoa, I wince in pain because it's bruised. 
And see, Satan knows where your bruises are, and he'll poke at them because he wants to keep you in a place of bitterness, place of self-pity, a place of not walking in victory, isolation, all of these negative things. See, that's why Satan wants to do that, because then you're not going to be much of a threat to him. You know, when I, when I say people know how to push your buttons, you, and I, you know what I mean, don't you? We all have buttons, don't we? And sometimes we're merciless as friends because we just push each other's buttons to watch the reaction. And then we laugh, you know. It's really not funny. So, see, you guys, what Jesus wants to do, he wants to heal the buttons so that when I get poked, I don't re- react like I used to. But I'm, I'm learning to act in love, love my enemies. I'm able to be kind and forgiving to those that hurt me. And in doing so, Jesus is revealed. Romans 8.15 says, For you've not received a spirit of fear leading to slavery again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. See, we've received the spirit of adoption. And, and, and you know what, what adoption is? Adoption is being chosen. Picture this. You know, you guys, one of the great works of the church throughout the centuries has been orphanages. And Christians have been doing this for hundreds of years. And why, why do we do it? It's because every person is valuable because they're made in the image of God, right? See, that's part of our worldview. And, and see, the Hindus haven't done this. The, the Islamic people haven't done it. The atheists don't do it. It's the Christians around the world, throughout the church history. They have seen, oh, these are precious children that society is throwing away. And so we'll take them. We will raise them. And so the Christians have a tremendous testimony for centuries now. And we, and we do it because people are valuable. Now imagine what it's like being raised in an orphanage. And I thank God for every orphanage that's around the world. And you know what? With the AIDS epidemic in Africa, how it's decimated. You know, the average age in Uganda is 25 or 30 years old because everybody's died off. And there's, there's multitudes of children that don't have parents. And they don't have the resources to have some of the social services that we have. And so what has happened? Christians are going in there, and they're developing orphanages. And they're caring for these people, and they're sharing with these precious young people the ways of the Lord. And God's raising up a new generation of righteous men and women. And so I want you to imagine growing up in an orphanage. And, and, and you know, there's only two house parents for 30 of you. And, and the house parents, they do all they can for you, but it's, it's just not like having your own mommy and daddy. And when you go to bed at night, there isn't a daddy to read you a bedtime story or a mommy to get you endless drinks of water before you finally go to bed. So it's all part of parenting. It's all part of communicating love. You don't get that in an orphanage. So imagine one day the house parents announce that there's a man coming, and this man is going to choose one of you to go home as his son or his daughter. And kind of, boy, some, something sparks in your heart, and you think, oh, my goodness. It would be wonderful to have a daddy that really loved me, to have a mommy that would care for me and tuck me in at night and comfort me with her words. And so the day comes, and this man drives up to the orphanage, and he's driving a really nice car. And you realize, wow, this, this, this man is not a poor man. He is a man of means. And when he gets out of the car, 
you, you look at his face and you see kindness. You don't see harshness, but you, you see something that is attractive and you think, oh, oh man, I'd love to go home and be his son or his daughter. Well, the house parents gather all the children out in the front stairs. They introduce the man, and the man says, well, the, the house parents say, now this man's going to choose one of you to be my son or daughter, and you're going to get to go with, home with him today. And so you're, you're, you're standing there, and, and, and you're watching the man scan the group. He's, he's looking at all the faces, and you start thinking to yourself, you know, gee, I am just not as pretty as Jane, and I'm not nearly as athletic as Billy, and I'm not as smart, smart as Jacob. And you, you think, well, there's just no way he's going to choose me. And, and to your amazement, you see this man's eyes. They keep coming back to you. And then to your utter amazement, he points and he says, I want you. You guys, that's the spirit of adoption. See, that's where the father comes and says, I choose you to be in my kingdom. Because see, guys, the message the world gives is that you're not acceptable. You're not good enough. We don't really like you. See, that's what the world, the whole world system is built on threat and bribe. But the kingdom of God is built on love and trust. And that's why, you guys, everything that's done in God's people has to be built on love and trust. Never on threat and bribe. So have you experienced the spirit of adoption? See, Father comes to you. He places his love upon you. And you guys, this is an experience that we have to have. It's not just head knowledge, but there's, just like we get filled with the Holy Spirit and we meet Jesus personally in the same way, I have to have an encounter with the Father where he comes and he puts his love up on me and he, and he affirms me. And I'm aware that I am in his presence. It's like it, it legitimizes my being. I, I belong to the Father. That's where my security, that's where my identity comes from. And, and Father wants you to experience that. One of the painful memories from my past is that when it came time for P.E., the teacher would say, okay, Billy and Joe, you be team captains, and we're going to play volleyball. And of course, what's the strategy? Choose the best people so your team wins, right? So everybody else would get chosen. I was overweight. I was uncoordinated. And I was almost always the last person to get chosen. And it was particularly painful if I was the odd person instead of the even person. And uh, the, the, the teacher would say, oh, Schroeder, you go with Joe. And Joe's team would go, oh, no, we're going to lose. We don't want Schroeder on our team. I can laugh about it now, but it was painful. And it sent all kinds of messages that I was not acceptable, that I really wasn't loved on a bottom line level. And Jesus had to begin healing that when I came to know him. Because that wounded, that scarred me. And that's why we all need the spirit of adoptions. Romans 8.15 says that when, see, when we receive the spirit of adoption, our response is to cry, Abba, Father. See, we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is, in, in, in English, is Daddy. It's that intimate term that a child, a tr- term of trust that your child calls you daddy and mommy. 
You guys, there's nothing like it when you become a parent to hear your little child come up and say, Daddy, Daddy, or Mommy, Mommy. It just does something to you because you're the only one in the world that's Mommy and Daddy. And at that stage of life, you're the only one they really trust. And you guys, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what he puts in us. That same cry of trust that we call him Abba, Daddy. It's a complete surrender. It's a complete trust. And it's knowing that my heavenly Father will always take care of me. When my kids were little, I'd put them up on a high, on a high counter, and I'd say, jump. And you know what they do? they jump. they go, ah! And, and every time I would catch them, there wasn't a bit of fear because they knew Daddy will catch you. And they'd say, do it again, do it again. And I'd put them up there, and then, ah! They'd jump, and I'd catch them. They loved it. It never entered into their mind that they would get injured by jumping because they trusted me. See, that's the spirit of adoption. And Father wants to give that to all of us. Hallelujah. And Romans 8.16 says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, this is more than an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual revelation that we can have. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to ask the staff. I've got a handout I'm going to close with this morning. Would you, would the, would the staff pass out the shame checklist? Just like last night, we talked about the forgiveness checklist. I want to talk to you about the issue of shame, which is, I believe, is, is one of the great contaminants that hinders our free-flowing relationship with the Lord. Are, are they being found? They, very... Okay, very good. So you listen, they're, they're, com- they're coming around here. So, see you guys, the spirit of adoption neutralizes shame. And, and every one of us have been contaminated by shame because it's so much a part of the world system. When I, when I wasn't chosen for the athletic team, what was happening? I was being shamed. See, it's like, like I was being branded, like I was being tattooed with an indelible mark on my heart that said, you're not acceptable. You're not good enough. So what, what is shame? Shame leaves a person, a, a, it, it's a sense of being hopelessly flawed. See, it's, it's, it's a sense that there's an inner flaw in me. There, there's something wrong with me that I really can never be loved. And it's not that you've done bad things. It's that something is wrong with me. And that's why it's so toxic. It's because it's like there's nothing I can do to get rid of this shame. Shame leaves a person feeling different from and less valuable than other human beings. Shame is a nagging feeling that you do not measure up to the person that you ought to be. We have shame when we persistently feel unacceptable, maybe unworthy, and less than the good person we're supposed to be. Shame is a vague, undefined heaviness that presses on our spirit dampens our gratitude for the goodness of life and slacks the free flow of joy. And that's why it is so toxic. Now, as do you all have a checklist? Are they coming? They are coming. All right. Thank you. So what I want you to do is we're going to just go very quickly go through these characteristics 
And would you check the ones that you identify with? So we're going to, get, we're going to go through this, and then, then Michael's going to come, and then we're going to talk about these in our small groups, and we're going to close the retreat by praying for one another that the Lord is going to cleanse us from toxic shame. Okay, now let's look at these together. And again, you check the ones that have, uh, that have significance to you. Number one, I'm afraid to let my true self be known to others. See, it's hard for me to be honest about what is really going on in my life because I fear your judgment. See, it's like, whoa, if I am really honest, not only are you going to reject me, but you're going to hate me. See, we get imprisoned by shame. And it's hard for us to talk about. Now, see, I grew up in, in a good family. I had very little to forgive my parents for because my mom and dad were, were solid, loving, good parents, good disciplinarians, good love. So I am so grateful. I was raised in a pretty healthy home. One of the downsides of my upbringing is that one of the unwritten rules, how many of you know all families have unwritten rules? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're, see, we're, you, our parents program us. And, and you're going to program your kids as how to live. And uh, see, you guys, by letting God deal with these issues now in your single years, you're, you're going to be a lot better parent, and you, you'll be able to be more whole ra- rather than, than, you know, passing a lot of negative messages on to your kids. And so as, as it, one of the unwritten rules of my family was that we didn't talk about issues. If conflict came up, we swept it under the carpet. And see, that was normal. It was normal for me. And when I went to college, and uh, for me, college was a breath of fresh air because I got away from all the negative stigma of high school. I had a pretty negative high school experience in terms of my social interaction because uh, the, the rejection stronghold was operating in my life. And uh, I just, I just... I just had trouble connecting with people. And so I was a, I was a world-class mask wearer. I didn't even know it because that, that was normal for me. So I go to college, start making some new friendships. One of the things I appreciated about college is that people accepted me for who I was, not for what I was or wasn't in high school. I found it was just a great breath of fresh air. And as I'm, you know, building friendships and, and just a, a loving campus life, one of the things I noticed is that some of my friends were really weird. They were really transparent about their lives. They'll say, I'm the one that's weird. But say, I'd never witnessed that kind of living. And it was really intimidating for me. It's like, whoa, you, you don't talk about dirty laundry. You don't talk about those things. Because, see, that was my family's rule. And it wasn't until I became a believer when Jesus started really attacking that and saying, now, Dick, you, you need to become more vulnerable. And uh, I read a book one time. It's called The Trauma of Transparency. And boy, I lived that book because it was traumatic to learn to be honest. I remember one time, when, and, and just in my early Christian days, we were in a retreat setting, and the Spirit of God came and began to convict people of sin. And to my chagrin, they were standing up and confessing their sin to everybody. Oh, and, and that's not that I wasn't guilty of the same things, but... See, everything that I'd been taught is you do not do that. And see, I had to learn to overcome that and, and learn to, hey, it's okay 
to live vulnerably and transparently. I was trapped by shame. Next one. I feel inadequate. We deal with inadequacies. And shame says there's something wrong with your inner being. Number three. When I look inside myself, I seldom feel any joy at who I am. Do you know that we are our own worst critics? Many of us are harder on ourselves than other people are. And, you know, and we judge ourselves and, and you know, we put ourselves down. And it's a, it's a terrible, destructive cycle. You guys are aware of this in your generation. There's, there's an increase of people cutting themselves, aren't they? See, you guys, what goes on the outside is a reflection of what goes on in your mind. And, and people that inflict pain on themselves, what they're saying is that I'm, I'm only worthy of pain. I'm really not worthy of love and wholeness. One time I was at a retreat, and there was an altar time, and we were praying for people, and I went and prayed for a girl. And as I approached her, the Lord showed me that she was cutting herself. Now, there were no scars, so it wasn't obvious from, from her body, but the Lord said she's cutting herself. So I simply asked her a question. I, I said, you cutting yourself? She looked at me like, who told you? I said, I said, Jesus told me because he wants you to stop. And boy, she was broken before the Lord. She did. She repented of that and she received a new revelation of the Father's love and it set her, see, on a new path of righteousness and wholeness. The shame was broken. about the next one? When I look inside myself, I seldom feel any joy at who I am. I don't, I, don't, I don't see myself as a masterpiece that Father is creating, but I, I judge and I criticize myself. About this, I define myself by my past failures. How many of you know we all fail in life? I'm going to prophesy with 100% accuracy. You are all going to fail. And it's true, isn't it? <laughs> it's Because it's part of being human. It's part of life. But you guys, we don't have to be defined by our past failures. I've, wor- I've worked with ladies that have had abortions. And, and abortion is a terrible sin, isn't it? So is gossip. So is murder. So is backstabbing. It's not unforgivable. But I've, I've walked ladies through that have come to the realization of what they've done. And it's devastating. Think, Man, I killed my own child. And see, remember, like talked about last night, we have to come to the horror of what we've done so that we can receive the abundant forgiveness of Jesus. And they've come to that point, they've found grace, and they're living in victory now. See, they're not imprisoned by that experience. They don't have to live by their past failures. about this? I feel inferior to the really good people that I know. Well, Carol Maurer would never think a thought like that, but I do. So we look at people and think, wow, they're so good, and I'm such a schmuck inside. That's shame. You guys... Something that will never happen to any one of us. When we get to heaven and enjoy the company of the saints of all the ages, no one is ever going to say, what are you doing here? Aren't you glad? There's going to be none of that human judgment and scowling and sneering. All of that is going to be cleansed away. And everyone in heaven is going to say, I am so glad that you are here. Even former enemies are going to do that as the redemptive work of Jesus lives out. Thank you, Lord. I'm not worthy of love. Why would anyone not, why would anyone value me? You guys, probably the the most toxic aspect of shame 
is an inability to receive love. And people give you compliments and you go, yeah, yeah, but inside you go, you don't know what is in here. And we tend to repel, don't we? We don't really receive it. See, that's the work of shame. And Jesus wants to cleanse us of that. So I want to pray for you and then I'm going to invite Michael to come. Now, dear Jesus, Lord, this morning we're serious about receiving a revelation of the Father's love, about receiving the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. And Lord, we're serious about allowing you to wash the toxic shame, the lies that we've believed, the satanic agenda that he has attempted to write on the tablets of our heart. And we're, we're saying no more of that. So grateful, Jesus, that you came for this purpose to destroy the works of the evil one. And so I ask, Father, just for a fresh move of your spirit in all of our hearts, that, that, Lord, today will be the peeling away of the lies of shame and walking in the wholeness and the purity of the Father's love. So I commit each of these dear friends into your hands, Father. And I'm going to look forward to hearing stories of how you are going to use them in the next 50 or 60 years as they faithfully follow you, Lord. And although I'll probably get to heaven before they do, I'm going to be at the gate ready to welcome you and say, well done, my friend. We did it together. We were faithful to the word that God gave us. So just seal all that you've done. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.